Welcome to Decoding the Shopper, a Cantar podcast. Most data within this podcast is provided by Wellpanel UK and Ireland with some additional sources for a wider perspective. Hello and welcome to this special Cantar podcast, grandly titled Navigating New Technology with Curiosity and Intention. Uh, as way of an introduction, my name is Michael McKenzie. I've had the pleasure of working with the Cantar business for, for over 10 years now. I know I look young. Working across some of the world's largest and most progressive FMCG manufacturers and fashion brands and retailers. My current role is leading the fashion, drinks and entertainment teams on behalf of the World Panel Division of Cantar in the UK. But perhaps more importantly for today, my official role is the equivalent of a year three infant schooler who's about to get schooled on all things emerging tech and the metaverse. Uh, to help me on this journey, I'm joined today by two unashamed, future-focused, tech-obsessed, bright thinkers, our very own Scarlett McNichol from, from Kantar and, and Kelsey from Kindustry as well, whom I'll let introduce themselves. Well, thank you, Mike, for that grand intro. Um, lovely to be here today. I'm a fashion client executive and metaverse specialist here at Kantar. So I help fashion clients day to day with their strategies, help answering big questions, uh, but also head up metaverse initiatives from a World Panel UK perspective. Um, so I guess for context, I started my career in the video games industry. Very much a hot topic in the industry was the metaverse and emerging technologies, of course. And that's tra- actually transcended into the conversations we were having internally at Kantar, but then also the conversations we were having with clients and understood that we need to have data and we need to have a strategy uh, in order to help clients move forward with um, their big ideas when it comes to metaverse and emerging technology. It's amazing. What an introduction. Um, I'm Kelsey, the Director of New Media and Web3 at Kindustry, a global va- uh, branding advisory group working on web brands and organizations go next. So we can really break up our uh, core pillars of work into two tranches. The first is working with big heritage brands um, that are really stuck in the past and bringing them into the present. So uh, kind of evolving their brand codes and modernizing um, a lot of different uh, branding uh, strategies. And the other is working with innovative startups and progressive brands brands that are almost stuck in the future, you know, and trying to practically bring them into the present as well. So we do that in four pillars of work. One is with uh, brand evolution. So that's very much uh, evolving the brand DNA of the uh, company. Um, progression, which is uh, progressiveness, you know, evolving their critical cultural currency and developing social impact platforms. Um, thirdly is innovation. So this is very uh, timely for this conversation. Um, new tech education um, of uh, all the new tech we'll discuss today um, and really uh, incorporating innovation as the the fabric of the organization. Um, and lastly is ventures when we invest and advise in startups. Um, and that is really great for us to stay at the almost cutting edge of technology and where things are going and then equally reinform the heritage brands of what's going on. So it's very full circle uh, type of work we do. Brilliant. Well, it looks like I'm in safe hands. So, so welcome both. And um, I suppose now if you like, indulge me for a few minutes and sorry, Scarlett, when you roll your eyes again, but like you take you through uh, a, a journey back through time to what appears quite a large amount of time to rural North Yorkshire in the mid 1990s. So believe it or not, I was an innocent, chubby little northerner who, like kids throughout time, wanted to, to kind of stay relevant, stay up to date with, with what's happening in the latest trends. But, but even then, I'm not sure I was overly successful. So my early years engagement with emerging tech was limited to occupying myself with out-of-date Super Nintendos, obsessively asking Jeeves inane questions and waiting patiently for responses to fling its way back to me on dial-up internet pages. Um, 
jumping quickly into kind of defunct mini disc bandwagon that quickly fell on its face and, and jealously looking at people who owned actual mobile phones uh, longingly. So now I thought I'd come a long way since that point. So connected at all times digitally, vaguely comfortable on, on Teams and even considered buying a smartwatch not so long ago. But it took fresh face Scarlet to come through the door at Kantar around about 18 months ago to make me realise perhaps the, I was actually a, a Luddite in this world, whatever that means. So discussions about TikTok, other emerging social media and something called the metaverse left me feeling every year of my my 39 years so in one final attempt to convince myself that i'm in fact not a laggard and keep informing myself about all things future focus i thought i'd ask scarlett to bring a further industry expert in kelsey along today and keep the conversation moving so i'm hopeful that i might not be alone in being on this journey and today's discussion can help you and all the listeners out there feel comfortable in in this space provoke some new thinking uh, and provide some defined examples of how brands and retailers are successfully using the metaverse to identify new customers within there and engage with them so without further ado i'm going to start at square one so when we talk of new tech and the metaverse what does it constitute when did it come about and what, in fact, in layman's term, does it mean? So many questions in one go. So who wants to take it? Um, yeah, I might uh, give that question a go. Um, you know, I'm not sure I'm going to predate, you know, things like uh, the Internet or, uh, you know, MSN chatbots or you know, things like that. I'll start more um, more recently. Um New tech, if we look at, say, from 2020 onwards, uh, things like uh, NFT, the metaverse, AI, blockchain, these things are all very confusing types of terms. You know, you, I'm sure you've seen lots of different types of um, news articles with these terms uh, and seen, you know, many millions of dollars spent or lost or, you know, um, <laughs> very um, clickbait type uh, titles connected to that. But we might just give a, a bit of a high level, um, you know, overview of the state of new tech in the last couple of years. Um, so we, we can go back to 2021, um, which ve- it was very much the year of or the introduction of NFTs. Um, and NFT stands for non-fungible tokens. Um, but m- you probably saw things like um, Board Ape Yacht Club, which is uh, lots of uh, cartoon monkeys selling for millions of yeah, dollars. And, you know, <laughs> Justin Bieber selling one for two million or Gwyneth Paltrow or whoever, lots of celebrity faces. Um, and there were many iterative types of um, digital assets. And as I was saying before, very spec- speculative. Um, but at Kindustry, we always were very fascinated by um, these, uh, you know, kind of hyped technologies. But we wanted to kind of get to the core essence of why they were valuable and why, uh, what part of it was hype and what part of it was a, a long term, um, you know, valuable uh, asset. So in terms of NFTs, you know, the real value is in things like rarity and um, what's called, it's an industry term called utility. Um, and to just break that down very, um, uh, you know, the way I understood it was um, that NFT is a digital asset and connected to that is a smart contract. So like any other contract, it's just a digital contract um, and they have all sorts of rights associated as a usual uh, con- contract would have. And in what form is that contract itself? It is a digital contract, so it's uploaded onto the blockchain. We'll try not to get okay, too technical. Right, okay, yeah. <laughs> Let's try and stay high level. <laughs> um, but I can take you through that, oh, good, you know, good. all sorts of things after the podcast for sure. Um, but the rights associated to that um, have all sorts of value. So it can give um, – the best way to think about it is more um, – 
uh, like access to benefits. So you might get access to drops uh, or uh, be able to uh, buy something before somebody else has. That's what Nike did. Yeah. Um, or discounts to goods or uh, you have access to membership clubs or, you know, it's really being part of a community um, and being um, part of the, it's basically, uh, you know, the next stage of loyalty programs. Um, so being rewarded in that sense. Um, the next kind of big chunk of new tech was blockchain and all of these are i'm calling them new tech but they have been around for 20 years or the idea of them but this is more of the, the popularization of it um so blockchain for example um it was used for things like provenance so um tracking like the supply chain traceability of goods so it's basically like a digital ledger where you could see things um uh where you could see the origin of goods um, it was great for things like authenticity of um, luxury goods uh, used with NFC chips, so near field communication chips, which basically like a, a you know a chip in the clothing you can scan and say, hey, this is a real designer good or something like that. And that actually happens. Is that those are relatively frequent nowadays. These are relatively frequent, becoming more and more common. Actually, brands uh, there's a, a consortium called the Aura Consortium. Um, which uh, the LVMH group, the Prada group and Cartier, which is part of Richemont, actually came together, which is quite rare for these competing uh, brands to to kind of, um, uh, you know, work together in that sense. Uh, and they were using it to fight against counterfeit goods. So it's a kind of a great use case for brands there. Um, and then moving on, and this is where uh, Scarlett can very much take it away. Um, but in 2022, I don't think there's a person on this earth that didn't know that Facebook changed its name to Meta. Yeah. It really put the metaverse on a global scale. I mean, we, we, Scarlett and I know that the metaverse or the concept of it has been around for 20, 30 years already, but it really kind of put it on a global scale. Uh, and we started to explore the impact for, you know, industries such as education, um, socializing, certainly from gaming and things like that. Um, and there's lots of different immersive ways for brands to kind of engage. So I think that's a great place for me to segue to, to Scarlett, the, uh, you know, the queen of the metaverse. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Yeah, well, thank you, Kelsey. I guess um, metaverse in itself, once again, lots of names, lots of technologies associated with the metaverse. But in really simple layman's terms for you, Mike, we can look at it as a 3D iteration of the internet and one that's real-time, interactive and immersive. And I think to Kelsey's point, all of these technologies like NFT and blockchain and metaverse set us up really nicely for Web3, which is essentially the third iteration of the internet that we're heading into. We're not fully there yet, but all of these technologies technologies coming together allow us to, to enter the Web3 space um, and see some of these technologies really develop across all industries. Okay, so let me get this straight then. So I suppose in all times, it's immersive. The metaverse, as a definition, will be an immersive space. Correct. Okay. And do I have to engage in it with VR headsets? Do I have to engage in that space? Once again, I think that is a misconception definitely moving forward you know if we want to feel really immersed in that environment then of course VR headsets mixed reality headsets is the way to go to get that full experience um, but we can access it through desktop we can access it through mobile um, but there are just different um, you know ways that we would interact with those and I think you know obviously Kelsey mentioning um, Facebook changing their name to Meta Meta are now you know making selling virtual reality headsets um so once again a new way that we can interact and they hope that actually their 
their metaverse platform becomes a success because of the the selling of their VR headsets. And similarly, you know, big news this year was that Apple released their first headset, which is the Apple Vision Pro. Um, price tag of of you know two and a half thousand. Yeah. Uh, so definitely not cheap. Uh, but we're starting to see company scale understand that VR headsets is the way that we should interact moving forward and are trying to actually, you know, cut down costs and understand how these headsets actually will evolve in the future so that it will be accessible to everyone. Because currently, I personally don't think I can part ways with that much money for, for a headset at this point in time, um, but potentially would with Meta's at only okay. $499. So a little bit of a, a better slightly price more, tag. Slightly more accessible. So, Agreed, yeah. So I suppose in my engagement with traditional media, so scrolling through BBC websites over the past week, even then you start seeing lots of reports about the metaverse itself and questioning, I suppose, the, the success at, at the moment. So specifically in the last couple of days, I think I noticed an article that kind of alluded to the fact that, that Mark Zuckerberg's approach with regards to Meta and the future of it and the investment that's gone into it has perhaps left the city maybe not as engaged with with that as, as you'd expect so uh, the suggestion is it's perhaps not been as successful so um would you argue otherwise how do you what, how do you convince me that actually that's actually not the case my answer would be would be twofold and i'll i'll tell you why so from a from a Cantar perspective, I think maybe best to sort of explain the context of some of our capabilities that we have within Cantar. One of them being a huge um, data set that we have access to that understands consumers' perspectives, um, engagement, and behaviors in the metaverse. And what we saw with our data, which was really interesting, is that actually a lot of people defined the metaverse as meta. You know, Facebook's meta was the front of their minds. That's what they thought the metaverse was. Yes, okay, it feeds into that, but that is not full encompassing of, of what the metaverse will be. Um, but actually the the engagement rates of, of Horizon Worlds, which is meta's metaverse, virtual platform, virtual world, um, has such a low engagement rate it, it's tiny and so there's really not great conversion rate between people understanding that meta and metaverse and people actually going into horizon world's virtual space and so the marketing and communication there isn't great um in order to convert those people that are engaged with meta as, as a brand and as you know multiple platforms but i think similarly with with the metaverse itself a lot of investment has to go in for it to get to a place in time that is accessible, that has incredible quality, that, you know, has the internet and bandwidth for us to be able to be in these real-time spaces and immerse ourselves in them for a long period of time. Unfortunately, the quality and the, the bandwidth of the internet just isn't up to speed currently. And so there are potential downfalls that we're currently seeing, but investment is going into the metaverse. If we look back and look at the dot-com bubble crash that happened um, in the late 90s, it was actually when the internet or the first iteration of the internet, if we remember that, actually crashed because very similar pattern happened. People were losing faith in the internet. Investment was going in, but weren't necessarily seeing that return on investment. But actually some of the biggest companies came out of that dot-com bubble crash because they continued to invest. They continued to you know, put money into their R&D um, and it, it created companies such as Apple and the, the MacBook. So, you know, we can argue both cases that, yes, currently it's it's looking a little bit bleak, but actually if we continue on the same trajectory that we saw, you know, 30 years ago, actually we, we could see it being a very positive landscape on the other side. Okay. I, I think that's actually a great point um, and a great comparison to the kind of dot-com bubble or the the um, uh, inception of, of the internet. And I think that, you know, 
many people who were working at that time would see that a lot of there were so many companies that were investing in the space, but really maybe three or four really came out on top: Google, Apple, etc. So I think we are going to see another evolution of natural selection of companies who have to meet consumer demands. They have to keep up with the really high quality standards that consumers are used to, and creating experiences that are worth. The、uh, now very short attention spans、yeah. of consumers. So,、uh, as Scarlett was saying, it's it's going to take a lot of development. But I definitely think that、um, it's it really has the potential to be the next wave of the internet and more. So, so I suppose the message from from both of you in terms of that space is that actually being an early adopter in this space is in, encouraged, and actually we, we kind of expect that those that do so may re- re- actually realise some rewards along the way. So, have you actually got any examples of brands that are successfully engaging、um, at this time within this space and creating new opportunities to engage new customers within、uh, within their journeys? Definitely. I mean, the one that springs to mind for me is Nike. I feel like it has to be spoken about. I always talk about Nike as a as a case study and a trailblazer within the industry. But it's it's definitely true that those that have educated themselves and experimented are those the ones that are currently trumping and the ones that are currently seeing that return on investment. So they invested in lots of different sort of strategies when it comes to metaverse and Web three. And I won't go into too much detail because we could do a whole podcast on their strategy in itself. But I think the most important Important thing is, is that they were there before, you know, other brands. They had a strategy. They experimented. They understood what worked, what didn't,、um, you know. And now, actually, if we look at their their revenue that they have made in the metaverse alone, we're not talking about any sort of physical goods sold. Digital products in the metaverse in 2022. They made a revenue of 185 million dollars, which is the equivalent of about 10% of their GB revenue. So, so products. Digital products, i.e., people not physically getting anything of note, but actually purchasing something for.、Uh... But I think this is where you're wrong, okay, Mike. In terms of products of note, because if we look at the consumers that are purchasing these digital products, actually, they're the way they show up in these social spaces, in these virtual spaces. Are just as important to them as how they show up in those physical spaces. So an extension of their identity within a digital environment. Exactly, and so how they, you know, what they wear, how they come across, the personalities, their personas and avatars that they use in these virtual spaces. They want to be dressed in in Nike because they love it in the physical world. So why couldn't their avatar wear that in in the virtual、yeah. world?、Um, and so actually, it is just as important, and it is a product that is noteworthy to them. Okay, so it's avatars, isn't it? Avatars is a terminology for. A, a digital representation of, of yourself. yourself. So,、mm-hmm. so I can engage in the metaverse. I can go to a Nike store and I can buy a particular type of trainers that I see in the online. Sh- on the, probably the wrong word in the shop in a metaverse environment.、Um, but, but are people actually doing that? So you say that there's significant revenues at this stage from a Nike perspective in doing so. Does, does that span out to other opportunities for other brands? Then, yes, definitely. I think. From from a perspective of if you're starting right now with your metaverse journey and how that strategy looks within your brand, do not think that you can launch a, a virtual brand activation and start to reap monetary rewards because that won't happen overnight. But what it is great at is things like brand awareness and engagement, community building, which is a huge、um, you know push for Web three anyway.、Um, But also, you know, being able to to market products in entirely different ways. You mentioned, you know, entering a store in this virtual space. I think we need to look at it in a different lens. The metaverse and these virtual spaces gives us the opportunity to do anything in our wildest dreams. 
you know, we can go past physical limitations, we can go past gravity even, and think of all of these experiences that just couldn't be possible in the physical world and replicate them in the virtual spaces. So I think we need to move away from the fact that we'd have a virtual store in the metaverse. It could be an experience where I just so happen to pick up, pick up products along the way. Um, but we need to reevaluate what that looks like in the metaverse. And, and I think for individuals like me and people of my generation, that's the bit that becomes challenging is that it feels like it's almost endless possibilities of which it's difficult to fathom how that, that might look. So we've alluded to, to Nike and arguably you might expect a brand like Nike being progressive, huge budgets to be engaged in that space. Have you got any examples of brands that perhaps may not have the inexhaustible budgets that Nike do that are successfully, in your opinion, kind of engaging customers? I, I, my example is Gucci. So it's certainly, um, is a very different type of budget level, yeah. very much, uh, you know, similar to Nike. I think that if you're a smaller brand, um, you have to think about why you want to engage with these technologies. Why do you want to be in the metaverse? Why do you want to explore with all sorts of different types of uh, technologies? We haven't even got into AI yet. Um, so I think it really comes back to, you know, what are your intentions? And I, I don't believe that, um, you know, you have to spend millions and millions of dollars to engage with this. I think there are ways for brands or, you know, kind of entrepreneurs within organizations to get on Discord, to start playing with um, these technologies, start playing with, you know, um, AI platforms like Midjourney or Stable Diffusion or, or, you know, things like that. And just starting to become curious. Like, I think this is the point of the podcast is just to, you know, inspire curiosity. And, you know, with the curiosity, it does seem limitless, but equally it's, you know, how do we take what is um, seems like never ending into a really intentional strategy and then pushing that forward. So I think for the smaller brands, I would say stay curious and then be intentional eventually. But at this stage, um, you know, playing on the scale of Nike and things like that, I think it's it will take a, you know, a more significant budget. Uh, the Gucci metaverse experience that I was alluding to um, happened recently after the uh, Milan fashion show. Um, the Ancora show and it was really well received and it's for a couple of reasons one they've really embedded uh, innovation into the fabric of the organization it's not the first time they've done a metaverse activation it's not the first time they are um, uh, talking to gaming communities or anything you know they're, they're certainly very digitally savvy so um, they actually uh, had a metaverse experience or a virtual world world experience in Roblox, Zapito and China's platform QQ um, and it was it was a really great way to kind of gamify, gamify and further immerse um, their customers and digital customers in the fashion show. Um, and maybe you watching a fashion show for 20 minutes, but you'd be in that game for three hours. So the connection and the, you know, the real time connection, uh, you know, uh, immersion in that brand's world is very much, um, you know, made longer. So I think there's a lot of value in that. Cool. And Scarlett, have you got any examples of brands as well that you think are doing a really good job that may be along the lines of Gucci, i.e. not as uh, as sizable as Nike in that space? So I think we have to start, or I think we have to talk about McDonald's in this. Good. I'm, I'm glad we got there. You, <laughs> that you tiny know, company. You know I love this. You know I love this opportunity. <laughs> yeah. Not a, not a small company <laughs> at all, but interesting and I think really leads nicely on from um, Kelsey's explanation of Gucci and, and actually immersing those customers for a longer period of time. You know, if we look at the metaverse, 
we can we can essentially say that we're using gaming technologies for non-gaming use cases. And actually the eyeball hours within those virtual spaces exceeds anything that we would have in advertisements or even in stores or, you know, physical restaurants in this example with McDonald's. Now, when Mike and I sat down two years ago um, and I was explaining the first, um, you know, we had the first conversations about the metaverse, he loved the the McDonald's example, um, and I'll quickly explain what this is. So, McDonald's actually filed for trademarks in the US in order to operate in the metaverse as a restaurant. So, essentially, you would walk through the virtual golden arches with your friends as avatars socialize and sit down in a McDonald's restaurant as if you would in that physical space and order your Big Mac and fries, but actually get that delivered physically to your home. So that opened up this brand new channel for revenue. And so we can look at these different ways of of interacting with consumers. And yes, a lot of them are brand awareness, brand engagement, how many eyeballs can we have for how many hours, but actually McDonald's have taken a really interesting Um, take on this and looking at, okay, we have McDonald's in the physical space, we have delivery, we have Uber Eats, we have our McDonald's app, but we're not currently tapping into those audiences that are really young, will still go out and spend their pocket money on McDonald's on a weekend with friends. But actually, we can tap into the the spaces that they're frequenting. So Roblox, Fortnite, Minecraft being the, the really big three platforms within that, and actually make revenue that way as well. And I think that's just a really interesting way of of sort of, I guess, solidifying in your mind, especially, Mike, what that could look like in the future. Yeah, it just felt like a very penny drop type moment for me because I can see that if I'm an individual that is going to be in an immersive world and I don't want to exit that world, but I do want to have some sustenance, if you want to call McDonald's sustenance, <laughs> a, reward. But gets a reward of some sort, yeah, then actually being able to do it whilst in the world, have it physically delivered without having to effectively leave that space. I can see that we're reducing barriers and making new opportunities for, for mm-hmm. individuals. And I think that's the thing that I suppose that feels logical to me because it felt like almost like a new channel in a traditional sense. Uh, and I think that's the, the stuff that I think brand owners will see and start thinking actually I can see how that could relate to to my brand and um, there's examples that we've talked about with regards purchasing um, digital assets for avatars but getting a similar product delivered to your home within there so again new opportunities for incremental revenue for the digital asset etc so those are the stuff that are kind of I can just about grasp uh, it's the more kind of creative elements on on top. So, so are there any other elements that you've seen that you think actually, personally, you see that there's huge opportunities for retail maybe to to realise opportunities in that space? I might be quite bullish with my answer here, but I think the high street has become so boring and so dull. Okay, yes, I live in London. I have the the fortune of being able to walk down Oxford Street and enjoy everything about Oxford Street. But I go to other parts of the UK and I see high streets and I'm uninspired and I walk into these stores and half the stock's not there. And I just feel like I don't actually want to purchase any clothes anymore. It's completely put me off my shopping experience. And so I think from a retail perspective, there is unimaginable ways currently that we can now go ahead and start 
engaging with these consumers in a new way that adds that layer of excitement and inspiration and a whole new way to shop that we have never been able to do so previously. I'm not saying the high street is dying or it's dead. I'm just saying that there are things that we can implement from a technology perspective, even, you know, technology embedded in stores is a great way to uplift some of those experiences. But if we're looking at adding a whole new channel to our strategy, so we've got physical, we've got, you know, online web to traditional online, so like your e-commerce websites, but then we have this brand new channel that we can play with, which is web three, metaverse, 3D, immersive content. And I think that's what is really exciting about retail is that for the first time in a very long time, we have the ability to create things outside of our wildest dreams and actually be really creative with it and you know step outside of the operational traditional ways of of selling to customers and think of new ways that we can sell but not necessarily just because there's a dress in front of me yeah makes sense yeah, I um I can speak less to retail strategies. That's not um you know our main focus. But uh, an example that really um you know excited me this year, and Scarlett and I have talked about this a couple of times, is um or impressed me was, uh, which with the uh, French telecommunications company called Orange, uh, they did an advert during the twenty twenty three uh, FIFA Women's World Cup uh, soccer tournament football sorry <laughs> i was gonna correct you, I know, I'll let you go. I'll i'm let you an go. australian in U- the uk i need to you know um get get better at that um but basically the advert started um as uh you know a compilation of men's football very skilled players lots of fast maneuvers um crowds going wild kind of a typical sports advert um, and then two minutes in, they were revealed that it was actually visual visual effects. And in fact, it was the women's team that um, were all along and were it was uh, superimposed with the, the men's faces. So it was, you know, really challenging the idea that women's sport wasn't as exciting, wasn't as entertaining, and perhaps they weren't as skilled players as the men men's players. Uh, so this advert was actually created with eight creators on the marketing agency's AI-powered platform called Marcel. Um, and I really liked the, um, you know, they were really challenging the idea that there's a lot of ne- negativities around AI editing, deep fakes. And even though this was more of a, a visual effects created um, advert, it still was um, very much trying to challenge the idea that technology is anti-human and, you know, it was kind of using editing for the right reasons. Um, so the brand really saw an opportunity to bolster, you know, human understanding and celebration in a really constructive way. And I think that's a great way to look at new technologies as, you know, it's it's less so of, you know, diving into the metaverse or just making an NFT for, you know, FOMO's sake. It's, you know, what kind of um, story can we tell? How can we uh, create some impact or cultural relevance with this um, technology as well? So being a little bit more strategic and intentional um, with the, uh, you know, with the activations that brands choose to do. Amazing. Yeah. Once you start actually seeing defined examples, I think that's the inspiration that I can start getting as to I'm too stupid to be able to come up with them myself, but actually seeing them in physical forms, however you want to see it, then actually you can start engaging and making translations across the different brands. So we've alluded to, I suppose, some brands that have done good jobs in this space and are well on the way in their journey. But I suspect that most brands, arguably, um, at the very earliest stages of thinking about what their strategy could, could look to and perhaps waiting for it to blow up before they act within that. So how can brands start actually uh, strategizing in this space? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a it's a 
you know, a great place to start is with objectives and principles first. What I was saying before, it's, um, you know, not just doing it for the sake of diving in. It's, you know, what business problem can we solve? Um, is it community? Is it immersion? Is it awareness? Is it new audiences or new revenue streams? You know, being very intentional about the um, objectives of diving into new tech. Equally, is it a natural extension for the brand? Um, you know, if not, you know, how can we create that authentic bridge to get there? So it's less about kind of, you know, uh, a brand that's has been, you know, almost allergic to tech jumping into the metaverse, yeah. um, but creating in incremental changes rather than these giant innovation leaps and creative leaps that won't really resonate with the core audience um, of the brand. Um, but equally, um, you know, trying new things is not really without risks. So I would encourage brands to be bold, be authentic to your brand, and remember that you're a steward of your community and lead them into an exciting place of, you know, continual celebration of the brand and also their loyalty. So it really is this, um, you know, continual um, relationship that's very dynamic and, uh, you know, it's a dialogue um, between the two of you. So I would start there. Yeah, I think dialogue and being customer centric is key. Why are we applying these technologies to our strategy? Why are we diving into the metaverse? At the end of the day, the pinnacle reason is because of the customer. And if it's not the type of thing that your customer would be involved with or would understand, then you need to educate them first and you need to have that obvious bridge and help them get there. But similarly, you know, you can go ahead and try and target new audiences using these technologies as well. So, for example, when we carried out our data at Kantar, actually 90% of Gen Alpha are engaging with the metaverse. So that is a huge audience to tap wow. into. It's, it's incredible. And if we think about, okay, well, Gen Alphas are still children. Actually, you know, they're spending in the metaverse, as we found out through that, that Nike revenue example. But also, if you ask your children or your grandchildren what they're wanting for their Christmas wish list this year, I bet you there'll be something that is virtual. So, uh, you know, a virtual world currency or a digital item or a digital good for their avatar. You'd be so surprised if you actually went and asked these these kids. It would be 100 percent on their on their lists. And so you can start tapping into these audiences now because realistically, they're going to be your main core audience in five, 10 years time but they're also spending their pocket money or their parents' money in these virtual spaces now. Um, so it's a great way to trial and learn with them, um, understand what works, what doesn't. But yes, of course, there are risks associated. And just because Nike is making a lot of money doesn't mean that that re return on investment in a monetary sense will happen overnight. You should set yourself KPIs that are not money-focused, but customer-focused first that you can tick off along the way to making money. Makes sense. I suppose that's the fundamental challenge, isn't it? Is that that kind of long focus, long term focus of brand building and making sure that you you kind of see in the bigger picture within there, which is always that discrepancy and difference between the short term ROI and long term ROI that we want from a business. So, um, I, I suppose thinking a little bit kind of um, further than that. So we talked again about I understand the kind of luxury retail play in this space. I kind of understand brands like Nike within there. In the conversations that you've been having with with clients, be they brands or retailers, have they tended to be of, of that sort of ilk, i.e. that the slightly more traditionally aligned to, to new tech that you might see, or have there actually been surprising examples? Don't necessarily need to name names, but types of industries as well within there. 
we might have completely different views on this purely just because of the the clients that you um, are involved with on a day-to-day basis. But actually, from a Kantar perspective, you would be very surprised at the number of clients that I've had conversations with that are really interested in the metaverse, dipping their toes, so to speak, um, anywhere from fashion and FMCG all the way through to, to beauty. It actually encompasses so many different industries and so many different uh, clients. I think okay, yes, they might not be really tech savvy, but they're very aware that it is so crucial for the future of their strategies to understand this emerging technology, what that means for them as a business, what that means for their customers, and actually how that progresses with their business strategy roadmap in the next, let's say, two, three years. Yeah, um, I think it's a very, it's always an interesting conversation we have with brands. And I think we've had a lot of, you know, mixed opinions. And I think, you know, th- you know, as I was alluding to at the beginning of the conversation, there's a lot of um, news articles, clickbait of very negatively in the space. Yeah. So, you know, we'd have a conversation with, you know, um, a very well-known like French luxury conglom- conglomerate. Um, and they would say, you know, NFTs equals money laundering. Um, and, you know, there's all sorts of risks associated. So for us, it's about, you know, firstly going in and educating them on the space, educating them on the opportunities, both short term, medium term, term. And then equally the long term is, it's harder to, um, describe because we just don't know where this technology will be in five years or 10 years. So we're very, um, matter of fact of where we see the short term opportunities versus long term. Um, but then equally we have, we work with uh, some incredible clients that are so open-minded, so progressive and so curious and really, um, ready to kind of explore and try, you know, trial and error and, um, uh, kind of see where these new areas of tech can, um, um, enhance their brand experience. But, you know, a key thing for us is to kind of strip away those words like NFT or metaverse or anything like that, because they, they do have a lot of connotations and, you know, make them more in um, digestible terms and coming back to the KPIs of the business and very much, you know, into the language they can understand. So we say, you know, we're kind of like new media or Web3 translators in a way that's part of our um part of our scope really um so yeah it's a mixture but i think it's it's um you know the ones that we've had the most success success with they kind of already have that um open-minded attitude and that's you know a great what i would definitely try and encourage with brands um going forward I think that's a really interesting point about the definitions. And I know we've spoken about them today and they are important. I totally appreciate that. But I think we will really start to see, you know, the likes of the metaverse shine and these applications and technologies come through to fruition and be embedded within businesses when we don't have to define them anymore, when they are just what they are. And you know, whether audiences understand the, you know, the blockchain technology that go into NFTs and the smart contracts associated with them. When we strip all of that away and just understand that NFT equals, you know, a digital identifier or equals authenticity or equals, um, you know, ownership of a product, then that is when we've hit the bullseye, I think, when we have to, you know, not Mm. define them anymore. It's so true. It's like right now the cloud, 
Can anyone really tell you technically how the cloud works or how you <laughs> upload? You know, your surprisingly, I can't. Yeah, <laughs> you know, so it's but it's it's commonplace in all of our lives, and we trust it. And or you know, sometimes it's you know, there's things that happen, but you know, it's it's certainly you know, there's all the technologies that we work. I, I don't think anyone could fully explain everything that happens on our iPhones or you know, God forbid, an Android. Um, <laughs> An another thing I have, by the way, which shows the stage I'm in. Um, so yeah, I think that Scarlett's exactly is is very right there. It's you know when when it becomes mainstream, when it becomes um, in its best form, will be you know when it's kind of a passive technology. Okay, so so going on that thread, if you think we maybe have some listeners in here that, that represent brands that that might think actually I am curious to to learn more, how how can Kansai and Industry kind of support them in the next steps? Uh, great. I mean, from a from a Kantar perspective, as I mentioned, I head up Metaverse initiatives um, from a World Panel UK perspective. Um, and so we carry out data every year annually to understand how these emerging behaviours and attitudes um, are actually shaping the Metaverse um, as we move um, forward. So last year, we carried out data, which was um, a sample of 64,000 um, individuals across Great Britain. Um, once again, we can overlay them with their brand purchasing, their demographics, what channels they're shopping with um, to really understand what the customers that your brand is trying to target um, is doing in the metaverse. And actually next week, very exciting, we are launching our new data set that comes out this year. So for the first time, we can see that year on year perspective, how it's changed versus 2022, which I'm very excited for. Um, but we've also added new questions in there about the evolving technologies um, and things that are really pertinent for brands at the moment. So we once again get a brand new sort of fresh data set come through. And so for a brand that's listening that want to understand what their customers are doing in the metaverse, how they could potentially engage with them. Um, actually, we have the, the capability to tell you exactly that, help build and shape your strategy um, and really make it you know, specific to, to you and the customers you're trying to target. Fantastic. Yeah, I mean, data is such an important part of, uh, you know, breaking down um, where you, you can intentionally or strategically go. Um, equally, that's less of what we focus on at Kindustry. We're more, um, you know, the big idea generation strategy. Um, as I mentioned, we, you know, we work with big heritage brands, involving them into the present or the future. Um, and we take a lot of learnings from, uh, you know, kind of cutting edge technologies and things like that. So, I, you know, for, for me, it's always starting with the conversation. You know, I'm not going to say this is the cookie cutter solution that I've got for you or for every brand. It starts with a conversation. We will understand who your uh, audiences are. How do we strategically move you into a place that is um, prosperous, uh, not only financially, but also um, growing communities and growing that, um, you know, kind of intangible values as well. So, yeah, I would just say reach out. You know, you never know where things go. Um, and stay curious um and you know bring that into our conversations um and yeah but i think that's the lesson i'll take home from today it's just uh remaining curious and, and trying to keep that that inspiration alive within there so i think that's almost uh what we have time for today so thanks so much for, for your time both of you and i suppose more importantly your patience with me within the process so you've certainly convinced me that more people than we think are already engaging in a space brands can reach new shoppers in different ways and that the time is probably now to kind of establish a strategy whatever scale that is within this space so um so yeah that's all we have for time for today 
Um, now, I suppose the last thing I'll leave it with is if any of the listeners out there can help educate me on what pa- past participles are or, or, or verbs and pronouns, that's the next stage of my journey with my kids. So the next podcast will probably focus on that. Element, so. Brilliant. Thanks, Thanks guys. Mike. Thank you so much. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Decoding the Shopper, a Kantar podcast. Stay tuned for more episodes and you can get in touch with us through our website, kantar.com forward slash UKI.